0: Like
1: the home for... Hello, I'm Graeme Simpson, I am the Seekers representative
0: as well as the historian and biographer. And I'm Christopher Patrick, author of the book ABBA Let the Music Speak, a forensic look at ABBA's music, published in 2008. And very happily co-author with my colleague Graeme Simpson on the book The Seekers the 50-year recorded history of Australia's first supergroup.
1: I can clearly remember the first time I heard The Seekers. I would have been 10 years of age, and it was on a weeknight. I had a little plastic red, bright red, transistor radio. And after lights out, of course, there should have been no um, uh, music in the house. But I'd worked out if I listened to the radio by putting it under my pillow, um, no, my parents wouldn't hear it. And I was just listening to it one night and all of a sudden this song came on and it, even at that age 10 years of age i i thought oh i cannot believe the sound that sound you know this uh, these boys singing this song with this girl and and um the song of course was i'll never find another You." so that was 1965 i was born in 1955 um and i just from that moment on i thought i need to they they said who the group was, and what really surprised me at 10 was um, was the announcer said Melbourne's own um, The Seekers. And it, it had never struck me at that age that someone in you know, a, a, a group from you know, parochial Melbourne in, in that era could ever be successful. And I, I just uh, thought I need to find out more about this group. So that was
0: me. How about you, Chris? Well, um, I was also a, a late uh, a developer with the Seekers because they had split up by the time I heard the first record, which was 1971, and I was nine years old, and the record was a gift from my aunt, and it was the Seekers' Golden Collection, which was uh, a, a collection of audition tapes that Keith Potger had masterfully uh, produced with extra um, uh, instrumentation and what have you, and that album became something that I also had under my pillow wherever I could. I listened to it, and there was one song that stuck out to me, one of Judith's uh, solos, All My Trials, which to this day is still an incredible experience whenever I listen to it. And and I realized I had to back to backtrack because... Uh, this was 1971 the seekers had of course disbanded in 1968 so i had a lot of catching up to do so i didn't have the benefit of hearing i'll never find another you as you did and uh but uh, of course i just i made sure i caught up and i really really soaked up everything i could from 1971 onwards and became an expert <laughs> well uh 40 uh, uh, odd years uh, of uh, orally processing i discovered I was actually going to become a musician by trade. And uh, that religious listening to every, every track and taking it apart was um, uh, stood me in good stead for the future because uh, little did I know that um, in years later, all of that processing that I'd done as a child and teenager and in my 20s uh, became very, very useful when we came to collaborate on our wonderful book.
1: Yes, the difference, I suppose, between you and me uh, is what you brought to that book, uh, was the ability to musically analyse every single song they ever recorded, whereas I have no musical ability, uh, instrumentally anyway. I learnt as a teenager, I taught myself uh, Greensleeves on... Using the black things on a piano, and to this day, that's the only piece of music
0: I can play beautifully. Oh, I'm, sh- <laughs> I'm sure, and, but that is the, that is the wonder of our collaboration because uh, we both brought to the table um, our respective uh, expertise, uh, the, the the memorability, the minutiae, every single thing about the seekers that you have witnessed and been part of for so many years, which I I never had access to. All I had was my own ear to do the, do the hard yards, and I and I worked very hard at doing that, but willingly because I just was astounded by the amazing chemistry these four musicians had together, and uh, and the awakening happening, uh, musical awakening happened very young with me because uh, it was clear to me that this was extraordinary, and uh, whatever anyone else said about the Seekers, I was totally, totally. Uh, convinced that this is a, a group that can never be replicated by anybody and I've been proved correct. Yeah, the, the, your your belief stood the test of time for sure. Absolutely and it's just lovely to to be able to work together to bring our two sides of the palette together to um, give people the full story on uh, what the seekers actually are and the special place they hold in our hearts uh, for the two of us, but also fans all around the world. Well, as far as I was concerned, the first time I saw one of the seekers perform was Judith in 1984. She did a, a solo tour that at that point and with her husband Ron Edgeworth, and I was so excited because I know she'd been in uh, a recluse for some time, working in the clubs over in Europe and uh, and and just feathering her nest in a, in a much sought-after jazz career and it was just wonderful when she decided she was going to come out and uh, live in Australia uh, and do this amazing concert. And I was one of the first to buy a ticket. And uh, to my delight, she actually performed Carnival is Over in Georgia Girl on that 1984 tour. And uh, But uh, my first Seekers performance, of course, was the reunion of, in 1993. And I went to all of those concerts, which were magical. So, so yes, and sadly, I wasn't able to see them as a group in the 60s for obvious reasons. They split up when I was six, but it was just a wonderful experience to see Judith on the concert road again and subsequently with the boys as they got back together for the magical reunion.
1: I, another very clear memory for me is seeing them for the first time Um I mentioned before it was 1965 when I heard I'll never find another you. so we'll fast-forward two years to 1967 and by then they'd had three number ones uh four number ones actually with Morningtown ride in the UK uh, and Georgie girl had gone to number one by that point in the United States making them the first Australian group to ever do that and yet another first for them so I'd gone from seeing them be being this little Melbourne group that I heard on my transistor radio to this phenomenal all o- phenomenon all over the world. And they came back to Australia from the United Kingdom in 1967 to film uh, The Seekers Down Under for Channel 7, the TV special. And... The Melbourne part of that was that they were to be guests at Music for the People at the My Music Bowl, which was um, an annual event uh, as part of the Moomba Festival in the March. And they were to perform at the Bowl with the uh, orchestra and Hector Crawford um, conducting uh, on the 12th of March it was. And it was a free concert, and I absolutely begged my father to take me. I, I was too young to go on my own, and my father is uh, thinks anything with vocal on it is, you know, the people should be shot. There's nothing but classical music in his or was was never anything but classical in his world, uh, and even though he hated most of the music of the day begrudgingly didn't mind the seekers because at least he had one one child um, who was listening to okay music, so I obviously had to be on my best behavior and um, my mother didn't go. I'm not. I can't remember why now. But my grandmother came with us, and my auntie Vi, auntie Violet, and my two sisters were um, dragged along as well. And they did obviously did not want to be there. And this is, of course, the um, the record-setting um, concert, my music bowl concert, where they drew two hundred thousand people in 1967, um, which was one in every ten of the population of Melbourne at that that time, and we arrived. Um, Earlier than when the seekers didn't come on until three fifteen, but my father wanted us to go much earlier so we could be exposed to <laughs> classical music, and uh, it was a stinking hot day, like it was thirty two or something, and um, my auntie Vi had a copy of the Sun newspaper and she made little sun hats for all of us, and we were so far back, even arriving early, that. I had to sit on my father's shoulders when the seekers came on, and they looked like—I you know, was looking at little tiny miniature things on the stage. But it still sticks in my mind as one of the most amazing um, experiences to my my life at that point. So, uh, and to have been part of what is still in the Guinness Book of Records as the the largest concert crowd in the
0: Southern Hemisphere uh, was pretty amazing. Absolutely, to this day. It's quite extraordinary. Hey there, Georgie girl,
1: straight down the street so fancy free. Nobody you meet could ever see the long in sand Inside you hey, hey Georgie girl. Why do all the boys just file by Could it be you just don't try it? Or is it As much as I loved The Seekers at that time, I had an older sister who was really into all the pop groups of the day. So her records were invariably um, uh, The Beatles, The Rolling Stones. She loved The Kinks. Uh, She adored the Walker brothers and particularly Scott Walker. Her bedroom wall was covered with um, uh, posters and magazine pinups of of Scott Walker. And... uh, uh, you know, my my father begrudgingly put up with us playing that on those. You know, those little um, forty five players that look like a typewriter case, and mm. we, had, mm-hmm. we had one of those, and we had to share it. So I had my Seekers singles, and she had all this other stuff. So, and because we were invariably together in those days, I just had to listen to that stuff, whether I liked it or not. And I did like it. You know, I had very um, um, wide musical taste, but. Um, She never um, appreciated the seekers the way I appreciated some of the people. And uh, Dad was okay about it all, but I can remember um, uh, my sister having a single that she'd bought confiscated by Mum and Dad, and that was Wild Thing by the Chogs. They just thought it was terribly inappropriate. (laughs) But they didn't mind the Stones, let's spend the night together, so, you know, go figure. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, so I I, I was kind of listening to everything, and and Dad used to take my sister and I to school um, in his car, and he only ever... We were never allowed to have commercial radio on. He just played classical music. So... um, uh, before school and after school, we listened to classical uh, music on those car trips and I acquired a, a, an appreciation, if not quite a love of classical music, but an appreciation for it. And I also realised quite early on that there was a classical influence in the Seekers' sound to a degree, which had never occurred to me.
0: Yeah, well, I was uh, only very young, really, during the Seeker's active years and, of course, the chart-topping years of 65 through to 68 – Uh, But uh, at that time, of course, I was listening to children's records and and those little uh, 45s that had Sleeping Beauty and uh, Hansel and Gretel and what have you. But uh, uh, fast forward on to 1971, when I heard the first Seekers album. Around that time, I I also had a bit of a a taste for classical music. My parents, my dad really loved uh, the swing era. He loved Glenn Miller, Tommy Dorsey, Benny Goodman, that sort of stuff. So I was exposed to that sort of stuff and Frank Sinatra. And mum loved uh, a lot of ethnic music, um, uh, sort of uh, everything from Mediterranean to Middle East and to, oh, uh, you name it. Um, she loved ethnic uh, cultural music. And uh, so belly dancing music, I would hear all this sorts of stuff. And also, importantly, um, film soundtracks the music to great movies like Lawrence of Arabia and uh, Zulu and Dr Zhivago of the 60s, which really firmly uh, were ingrained in me. And so it was a broad spectrum. And uh, I wasn't really listening to pop music as such until, actually, uh, The Seekers was were my first uh, exposure to anything that was popular, really, as a singing group. I didn't listen to any other groups of the day, at the time, and of course, I'd written a book on Abba's music in in the 2000s, and uh, I hadn't even heard that Mamma Mia had been released and was so successful it appeared on Countdown. So, so up till about 1976, when I first saw an Abba TV special, uh, the Seekers were my world, uh, and so I felt quite I was quite a closed shop in that way. But that closed shop also enabled me to process the music in such a way that uh, I saw things and heard things that I knew I could share with people one day and of course it did turn out that way but later on of course I loved everything ELO, uh, Sting, The Police, Crowded House uh, Robbie Williams, One Direction even I think they're very very good musicians nowadays but uh, as far as back then uh, I was a closed shop listener and uh, I focused on the music that I really loved which happened to be The Seekers